Please turn in your New Testaments to Acts chapter 14, 1. And as you're turning there, though it is not always understood, it's very uncomplicated what this table means. We could not save ourselves. We could not make ourselves holy enough to be accepted by God. There was nothing we could do dead in our sins to commend ourselves to God. And so we were condemned before God. And that's why God sent His Son, Jesus, to do everything necessary for us, including to die on the cross in our place and take the punishment that we deserve. And that's what this table is about. It's called the gospel. It's called the good news. And we who have placed our faith in him are forgiven forever. We are accepted now and tomorrow morning. We live under his smiles because of what he has done for us. Acts chapter 14, 1. Now at Iconium... They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way, the gospel, that great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. And so they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of His grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And and when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them, the apostles, and to stone them, they learned of it and they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and the surrounding country, and there they continued to preach the gospel. This is high drama. <laughs> That's what this is. This is high drama. And, and, and sometimes I think we need to step back and ask ourselves a question like this. Why are passages like this in the Bible? These stories of, of the amazing power of of the gospel and people coming to Christ, the opposition rising up. Incredible drama. What is God trying to teach us through this passage? Certainly He wants us to know the, the history of the expansion of the early church beyond Jerusalem, right? I mean, that's who Paul is. He's the apostle to the Gentiles. God wants us to see what actually happened, that Indeed, Christ is the Messiah, the the one long-awaited who not only was crucified on a tree, took our curse, but is the one, as the apostles preached right there, who was raised from the dead and who has all authority and reigns at the right hand of God and can give salvation to anyone who puts their trust in Him. He is the one. And God wants us to see that when that message went out into the Roman Empire, people began to come to know Him. He wants us to, to see the, the power to change lives. And, and, and in the book of Acts, not only do we hear people turning to the Lord, but we see example after example of how they turn to God, what difference was made in their life by the power of Jesus. And I think He probably wants us to see the faith of Paul and Barnabas to risk their lives for the kingdom of God as well. But that's not quite the question I want to get at this morning. I want to get at what do we in our lives do with this passage? Because it kind of just seems a little bit beyond us, doesn't it? 
what the Apostle Paul and, and Barnabas, in the power of God's Spirit and the joy of the Holy Spirit, we read in Acts 13, are doing. And, um, and before, before we get to the answer to this, I, I'd like to, to just kind of give you a quick rundown of what is happening in this passage, what's happening just before this passage, and what's happening after this passage. And you'll understand later why I'm pulling in the, the two chapters. I won't read it all and preach for like three hours or something like that. But we're going to get back to Paul actually quoting about this segment of time in his life to young Timothy and 2 Timothy later and how important, how significant this moment was in his life and in the history of the young church. So Paul and Barnabas, you know, they're sent out from Antioch, Syrian Antioch uh, in Syria, and they go over to Cyprus and people come to Christ. And, and this is where Sergius Paulus, the governor of Cyprus, we dealt with this last week. If you weren't here, just go ahead and just read it, uh, Acts 13. He comes to Christ. They're opposed by a sorcerer. God gets the victory. And then they go to this place called Pisidian Antioch. There were lots of Antiochs back in the, in the ancient world. And this is uh, Antioch up in Turkey is, is where this is, as opposed to modern-day Turkey, as opposed to modern-day Syria. And, uh, and so they're in Pisidian Antioch, and, and they begin to preach the gospel. And Acts 13 not only, you know, talks about their preaching the gospel, it actually gives the sermon itself. You need to go back and read Acts 13 about their time in, in uh, Pisidian Antioch, and you'll see what the apostles were actually preaching in the synagogues. And man, they are quoting the Old Testament. They are proving that Jesus is the Messiah and that he really is the one and only who can give salvation. The problem is, is uh, after lots of people started coming to know the Lord in Pisidian Antioch, both Jews and Gentiles, things got really stirred up, and the rulers uh, got together along with the, 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 the Jews that were, were upset and the Gentiles, and they literally expelled them from their region. That's a direct quote. So they go... 60 miles down the road to this place called Iconium. Uh, this is in the, what's called the province of Galatia. Uh, later there'll be a book to the uh, province of Galatia called Galatians. And, um, and so Iconium is the, the large, one of the large city, larger cities in, in this. By the way, they would typically go to the larger cities first and then spoke out to some of the smaller towns. They preached the gospel in Iconium. That's where we are today. And they have to leave Iconium because they're going to get stoned, executed, killed for preaching the gospel. And so they leave Iconium and they, they go over to a, a city called Lystra. And at Lystra, we, we read about this man who was, who was uh, paralyzed from birth. He was crippled from birth. Everybody in this town had seen him. You know, he's just kind of one of those people. You know, these weren't major cities like we have today where you, you just know that guy's never walked before. And Paul, while he is preaching, stops, and the text says he intently looked at him and saw that he had the faith to become well and said, get up. The guy who had never walked. You know, jelly legs never walked. And he got up. And he walked, and he was filled with joy. And people were so blown away by the power of the risen Christ to heal this man who had never walked, 
that in this particular, this particular city of Lystra, that was where one of the temples to the, to the Greek god Zeus was. And, and they said, you know what? We've never seen anything like this before. This is Zeus. Come down. This is God in the flesh. And they called Barnabas, the older one, Zeus, and they called Paul because he was the messenger, Hermes, you know, uh, the, the mess, that's, remember, he's the messenger of the Greek gods, and so Paul's kind of the mouthpiece, and, and Barnabas was Zeus, and they tear their clothes because they're Jewish and they're Christian, and they, they don't want to put any gods before God, and they don't want any representation. They know we're not God. We're men like you. Let me tell you about God in the flesh. And they preach Christ and just amazing amounts of people. Jews and Gentiles alike turn to the grace of Jesus that comes through the cross. And then some of those folks that, that stirred it up followed them down. And then, then all of a sudden things begin to get stirred up in Lystra. And Paul is actually stoned. You know, you know what I say about, mean by stone? That's like when they line you up and everybody gets to throw big rocks at you. It kind of knocks you out, but it just pummels you to death. It's a really bad way to die. And so they stoned him outside of the city and they left him lying there. He was dead, right? No, he was not dead. They didn't stone Barnabas, Zeus, for some reason. <laughs> they stoned Paul because he's the one talking. Paul gets up. I mean, can you just see how bruised and, and battered and cut and, and disoriented? He gets up. He, he hobbles back into the city. And the next day, they leave Lystra for a town called Derby, and they begin to preach the gospel. I mean, Paul's just, you know, got bandages all over and uh, bruised and battered, and he's just preaching the gospel. And, and they leave Derby, same thing, not the stoning, but the same kind of lot of people coming to Christ, a lot of opposition to the gospel. And, and then they go back to, to where this whole thing got kicked off. That, remember the other Antioch, the, the Antioch of Syria? It's kind of the, 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 the church where there were all these preachers and it was the church where the, the early church had moved, was moving in its center from Jerusalem to Antioch. And they go back and they tell all the, their friends in Antioch, this is what God is doing to open the hearts of the Gentiles to the gospel. Why, were, why was the church in Antioch so interested in that? Because remember, and if you, if you don't remember, you can, you can go back and read it, the Holy Spirit communicated to leaders in that church, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, to be sent out to the Gentiles. When they came back, man, the Roman Empire is suddenly bursting, at least these places, with new believers, new churches. But you know what's fascinating is before they get back to Antioch, are you ready for this? They went back to every one of those cities where they were hurt, beaten, stoned. Went back to every city to strengthen the believers in Christ. Now, what do we do with that? I mean, you know, you live with a house with a little mailbox in front and you go to school or you go to work and, you know, you, you like to watch football on Saturday and, you know, you, you like to get with your family and this is kind of, and you love your church. And, and, I mean, what do we do with all this? And is our answer, well, I, I'm just not Paul. 
I don't think so. The Holy Spirit did not put these two chapters in the Bible for you and I to simply say, well, I'm not Paul. No, I think we need to ask two questions of our lives this morning from this text, of your life. Two questions that are answered in this text about your life. And the first one is, where's the drama? Where's the drama of your life? And the second one is, where's the high drama? The first question is, where's the drama? Uh, I'll tell you where the drama of life is for a believer. The drama of life is, um, really starts or doesn't start with whether or not we care about people. The drama of life begins with us actually loving someone, actually touching them, actually opening our lives to them, actually being willing to be with them and to love them. And if you love people, and and if you open your life to people and love them, I'm going to tell you something. If, If you do that, your life will never be boring. Never. The reason is, is that all people... All people in this room and all people outside of this room, all people have drama in their lives. Check. You got drama in your life? You got stuff happening in your life? You got people you're related to that have stuff happening in, in, their, in their lives? Yes, you do. And when you become connected and loved and interested in someone who has drama, you become a part of that drama. And, and your drama factor of your life ticks up. And I'm going to tell you something. There is more pain per square inch in our lives and the lives of people around us. Yes, even right here in South Madison County than we would even care to admit. There is so much pain per square inch. And and we need for people to care. We, We need, there is a need for real person to person love. There is a need for Christ's love to actually be given to somebody in person. Now, it's an interesting fact of our society today that people have never been more entertained in their life and never been more bored. It's not that we don't have things to do. It's not that we don't have things to think about. It's not that we, we don't have things that come across our mind. No, we are bored because this is the call to love, not just observe. This isn't a call to virtual love. This is a call to bold, personal love and a transaction, incarnational, person-to-person, heart-to-heart, flesh-to-flesh, giving of love. Because I'm going to tell you, even enough love to walk across the street and, 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 be, and get involved in someone's life just sets off a drama in your life. Even the willingness to, to walk across the classroom and talk to that person who is being left out begins a drama in your life. Or to walk down the hall in that office and, and begin to actually ask questions that really matter to that person 
sets off a drama in our lives. Because love touches real people. Love is dramatic. And if they reject, you're courageous, take a deep breath, jump jump into the deep end and actually try to love, attempt, and they reject you, there's drama in that too. There's just drama in ministry and in the willingness to actually care and the willingness to actually gauge. And our text basically says, you know what? We need to risk it. We need to move. We need to care. And the apostles were moved with love for the Gentiles who were ignorant of Christ, ignorant of His death, ignorant of His resurrection, not able to make their lives work without God in their lives. A horrible darkness that they lived in. And the drama ticked up the minute they said, so let's go and touch them. Let's go to where they are and love them. So, where's the drama? We say, well, I'm not Paul. I see how dramatic this is, but I'm not Paul. No, I'm not Paul either. But if you care, and if you're willing to love in His name, your life will become more dramatic. But secondly is, where's the high drama? This text deals with the high drama. The high drama is when you decide, as you are loving people, to actually share the gospel with them. (laughs) To actually bring the spiritual reality of the most divisive figure in all human history, named Jesus Christ, to their attention. The the apostles don't just go and do a little mercy ministry and and give some food and some clothing to people. I mean, they're very merciful and they care. And there's offerings for a whole church in Jerusalem that can't feed itself. And there's all kinds of admonitions to, you know, incarnate love and and be there for people. No, (laughs) the whole city's divided because of them. I I want you to look again at verse 3. Now at Iconium... They entered together into the Jewish synagogue, which was their pattern to go to the synagogue first and then to go to the Gentiles. They entered into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that great numbers of both Jews and Greeks believed. So God's, God's power, is, the gospel, is, is bringing people. God's, God's power through the gospel is bringing people to himself. But, verse 2, Unbelieving Jews, unpersuaded, unpersuadable, it kind of means in the Greek. People with their mind made up. Unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Interesting, isn't it, that the attack isn't so much on the gospel per se immediately. The attack is a personal attack on Paul and Barnabas because we want them out of here. We don't like what they're saying. But it's easier to attack a person than to actually debate an idea. Christianity holds up real well in the public square, by the way. And the human heart actually has the law of God written on it and actually vibrates when you talk about sin and repentance and and the wonder of the cross. So we're not just debating whether Jesus is the Messiah. We are stirring up and poisoning people against Paul and against Barnabas. 
So, verse 3, they remained for a long time. You've got to love that. They didn't just get out of town. They remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to his word of, the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. In other words, miracles were happening, attending the word of God, and people were, were understanding the reality and power of Jesus through that as well. Uh, incidentally, we have a tremendous healing ministry in this church. And we pour oil on people and we anoint them in the name of the Lord. And recently there have been some amazing and dramatic healings in this church. We're having some like Book of Acts kind of stuff. Presbyterians don't want to do that Book of Acts kind of stuff. Uh, that, that's what was going on here in Iconium. Verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. I mean, listen to these words. Some sided with the Jews, some sided with the apostles. It's like the gospel preached. Just There was a fault line that suddenly appeared in the city. You're either for or against these people. It is often intimidating to share the gospel behind this table. It's very straightforward, isn't it? We can't know God by our own actions and goodness. We're doomed, and so God came to the rescue and did everything we needed. This is the good news. Whoever puts their trust in Jesus, rather than their own works for salvation or any kind of religion, will be saved by God's own power, by the risen Christ, who gives forgiveness to all who ask. But it's intimidating to share the gospel sometimes. You ever felt that? See, we like to do mercy ministry. Sometimes we don't. But what if we started like loving people person to person and talking about their souls? Now we're getting personal. Now we're getting controversial. Have you ever thought about the irony of how Nothing deals with the fear of judgment. Nothing in this world like the gospel. Because there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Nothing deals with the fear of judgment like the gospel, and yet nothing strikes more fear into our hearts than sharing the gospel because of the judgment of people upon us. The people will judge us. This, this will become divisive. Potentially. My daughters and I, uh, they are both in college now. And we were talking about campus ministry and just the culture of college campuses. Really just our culture now versus, you know, I'm so 80s, <laughs> the late 70s and 80s. And what was going on in the culture at that point. And kind of what campus ministry looks like now versus then. And, um, and one difference that became really apparent as we talked, is there seemed to be, back then, uh, an expectation to actually go about sharing the gospel with people verbally. Like an expectation that you're going to share the gospel, you're going to talk about Jesus, um, like actually invading people's space with what we used to call the plan of salvation. And I remember in college going door to door and knocking on doors and basically saying, Hi, I'm Joseph. Are you going to heaven or hell? That's not quite the way I put it. But, um, you know, it, 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 in a way it was. You know, I, get, I, I get to know him for about five minutes and then we get into the gospel, you know. Today, people seem to be trying to live it before they tell it. 
today, maybe the, maybe the emphasis is on like maybe showing and telling the gospel that there's an emphasis on the authenticity of the messenger and not just the separate truth and power of the message itself. One is not better than the other. Uh, I'm, I'm not doing this. Back in the old days, we had it better. That's not, not what I'm getting. There's no underlying sense of that in what I'm telling you. Um, we need to live it, don't we? Remember, that's how you get the drama in life. And we need to tell it. And that's where the high drama in life comes from. And anyway you slice it, uh, particularly in an age where people are, are less likely to functionally believe that there's absolute truth, when you come talking your absolutes, even in the South, we're, we're, we're going to be down to barbecue and football and colloquial expressions pretty soon is, is all that will be left of our culture. And so, you know, you, people judge you pretty quick when you bring your absolutes and you start saying what's wrong and right and what's sin and what's not and who's a sinner and who's not, meaning you're a sinner and you need Jesus. Um, and we live in an age now that, that it's always been this way, but it, it seems far more hostile to the exclusivity of Christ. Christ exclusive claims, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, no man comes to the Father except through me. So it's a little intimidating to share the gospel. And that's why one of the reasons people want to be a little more trusted and see the authenticity, see the love, so that someone might open their hearts and say, you know, this person's not just trying to rail on me. This person's not just trying to judge me. They, they actually care. And sometimes they're, they're more open to that. And oh, did I mention that the good news is predicated on something called the bad news. It doesn't matter if you're in Iconium or in Ridgeland. You cannot understand the good news of the forgiveness of God through the cross unless you understand the bad news that you're a ruined sinner who has no hope of knowing God except for God's saving action on our behalf. People love, don't they just love all the time to be called sinners? No, they don't. There's a lot that can happen. When you shift from just loving and touching people in His name to announcing God's love specifically through the cross for sinners. And the word, word boldness is used three times in Acts 13 and 14. Boldness. And this is where the high drama is and it takes boldness to do this. Verse 3, So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. This is after the trouble started. And suddenly the whole town is divided. We read, some are on the side of the Jews. Some are on the side of the apostles. And in the next town, Paul is executed. He's threatened to be stoned. In our text, he goes down to Lystra and he actually is stoned. Now, this whole little section of these cities and this ministry is a huge moment for Paul and Barnabas, and a huge moment for the early church. It's a huge moment in their decision-making about whether they're going to keep doing it. What ministry is going to be like, and, 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 and whether they're going to keep taking a beating for the gospel. And it's so big 
that Paul recalls this time and these cities to, to a young minister named Timothy. If you will turn to 2 Timothy 3.10, please. When, when he basically wants to say to Timothy, you know, be encouraged, young brother. Be courageous. Have faith. Believe in the gospel. You know what section of time he goes back to in his own life? He goes back to Iconium and Lystra and Derby. 2 Timothy 3.10 You, however, have followed my teaching. He's, the, you know, he's, he's Timothy's mentor. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. My persecutions and my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch at Iconium and Lystra. Do you see that? You need to see, I'm telling you, this is worth it, as you observe my life, and he specifically says, the persecutions and the sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So you want to share the gospel? Yes, you do. <laughs> Let me answer that for you. Yes, you do, because what we read in the midst of, of all this high drama are hundreds of people coming to know Christ. Hundreds of people Delivered from the domain of darkness. Delivered from hell. Delivered from futility. Into love. Into relationship. Into being sons and daughters of God. Into the power and nearness of the Holy Spirit. Into the true meaning of life that God came to give us and to reconcile us to. Yes, you do want to share the gospel. It's amazing how many people that God is saving. And He still does. Because the gospel is still the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the Greek or the Gentile. And even though some people will reject the gospel, they're not rejecting you per se. You feel that way. Some people might just kind of duck out on you in a southern kind of way. And then, you know, if you're in a, a country like Pakistan, they might want to kill you. Which I read a story I don't have time to read about a a gal who's in prison, separated from her children because it was said that she offended the holy prophet. And she didn't. And I'm, I'm very amazed with those people who are threatened their life, like Paul today, who just keep on sharing the gospel. Because life and death and salvation is actually meaningful to them, and they actually love even to the threat of death. But you know, many will believe through you. Because not you. It's the gospel. It's the love of God through you, the authenticity that God brings, the reality that they feel and touch, and the actual gospel that saves. I want to close by reading a quote from a young theologian named Scott Frady, who put it this way. Paul and Barnabas persevered because their hearts were captured by the glory of the gospel. 
They knew Jesus was the risen Son of God and fulfilled the promises to Israel and to the world. They knew He offered forgiveness and freedom and newness of life. And when we see the gospel as precious, and we see God as our infinite treasure, then we also can do bold things and speak truth without regard to our own comfort when the gospel becomes more precious. When we see the gospel as something nice, but not something central, we will not speak out. When we love Jesus more than we love, more than we fear people, we will speak out. It's real simple, isn't it? The drama is in opening our lives to others and loving and serving them. The high drama is in showing and telling the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, as we move toward your table of grace, help us to ask ourselves how precious the gospel is to us. Help us to reflect on your power that has, if we, as we have put our trust in you, that has actually saved us. And how meaningful and how precious and beautiful that is. Lord, cause us to, to ask you to not only elevate that sense of the, the treasure of the gospel and a relationship with you, but to capture our hearts, not just for ourselves, but for people around us. And strip away our self-protection, Lord, and our fear so that we can move across the street, across the classroom, across the office or the gym with his love. And Lord, would you give us the boldness that it actually takes to share in the good news that we will taste, touch, and hold and celebrate in reality today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.